I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Congratulations to the Navy midshipmen. Winners of the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, the great Air Force Falcons. to another episode of the Against All Enemies podcast. I'm your moderator host, Justin Mears, site manager at Against All Enemies. And we're joined today by Scott Lopez covering Air Force, Austin Lantang covering Navy, and we are without Kayla. So we have no female presence, no Army presence. She is on her two weeks active training uh, as, a, as a reservist uh, this week. So she's going to be out. So we'll do our best between the three of us to to cover army and and be unbiased and give it its due um for army football in today's episode but no promises army fans if you want to tune out we understand because it's the navy and air force guys talking about army football and their offense so uh we'll see how it goes but otherwise we got a good a good episode scheduled for you guys um today we're gonna today was aac media days uh so we're gonna talk american athletic conference media days which will kind of inevitably give us a, a kind of preview somewhat of Navy and some things that were brought up by Coach Ken as well as uh, Mike Oresco's kind of uh, discussion on UConn because that was inevitably going to come up today at the media days and was one of the first things he addressed in his speech and then um, afterwards in his interviews with ESPN and everybody else. So uh, we'll talk some AAC media days, which will be good because Mountain West media days are next week. So we'll get some Air Force Mountain West media day talk uh, and well, Army's not in a conference, so they don't have a conference media day. Um, but uh, we'll then finish up our offensive preview. So we talked quarterbacks last time. Obviously, they're going to get the the majority of the discussion in any offense. Really, it doesn't not just triple option, but um, heavy discussion on what each school brings from the quarterback position. And um, as we talked about in the podcast, I mean, if you're going to be ex- excited across the board, uh, all three service academies have pretty solid <laughs> returning starters at the quarterback position, um, proven starters. Some of them have bounced back and forth, Navy, Malcolm Perry, but, uh, other, and some of them have decisions to make air force and between Hammond and Sanders, but, uh, across the board, I mean, that's, uh, it, it makes me excited for, for service camp football this year, because at the quarterback position, you've got three dynamic, um, options for each, for each team. So we'll finish talking the rest of the offensive positions. And, uh, that's, that's the plan for today. You guys excited? Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, uh, well done by Kayla. Right, this is this is right before football season. She's getting out of the way. Yeah, yeah. If you do your <laughs> AT uh, this late in the year, anyways, because of the fiscal year, like uh, if you start pushing September, October, that's or September, I guess. October after that, you're you're done because October. Um, but yeah, it's like wedding season, I guess. Right, like <laughs> gotta get it done now. Honey, uh, honey, do this, man. Y'all, better, everybody, better get on it. 
yeah, no, I'm done with my, my AT too for the reserve. So don't have to worry about that. Uh, anymore. So yeah, good for, good for her. I'm sure she's out there in the field somewhere having fun. I'm sure she'll enjoy listening to our terrible army takes at some point. So Scott, you ready? You good? Oh yeah. All right. So here we go. So yeah, I mean, maybe you're not as excited about the AAC media day stuff, Scott, but let's talk AAC media day. So, um, next year we got, we have to Austin, like things start working we have to get there. Um, and do this, go to the clam bake. Uh, I mean, as far as media days go, like, yeah, I mean, you're going to get more media and exposure at the power five media days, but there is no better event than the AAC clam bake the first night of AAC media days in Newport, Rhode Island. I mean, it's just a really cool event. Um, so everybody got to eat a bunch of lobsters last night uh, at the clam bake. And, uh, and I have been to media days once, uh, back for underdog dynasty like five years ago and it was pretty cool and so we got to get there next year we got to make that a priority um to get to ac media days so where are the mountain west media days are they in they're in nevada vegas they're usually in vegas vegas yeah, yeah. that's not a bad spot either but uh, oh, yeah. but newport yeah it's it's cool i feel like and i just tried to do a quick search i feel like i remember reading something that said they weren't gonna necessarily be there in the future or they were gonna change well they're moving the offices they're moving the offices okay, to, that's all it was to to texas right dallas i think maybe or i don't fort worth area yeah um so there's been talk about obviously why would you do media days in rhode island if your offices are in in texas but we will get into resco's conversations today with espn but he made it seem like in the the interview i heard with espn um that they were going to continue the the media days in newport for the foreseeable future so i don't know um i don't think he explicitly said that but that i mean if you could choose between dallas or newport to go for media days i mean yeah. Other, would, than, other than SMU, who's going to choose Dallas? I would say it would be just in spite of UConn to just like keep hosting it in the Northeast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just, we'll just jump right in there, right? Because that was the elephant in the room. Not, I mean, it wasn't the elephant in the room. Everybody knew that was going to be hot topic because uh, the only conference experience in realignment right now. Um, and, and so UConn, we've already, we've already talked about on the podcast. We've had our whole discussion about Air Force and Army and whether they should be candidates. Is the AAC good to go as it is? Um, but Oresco definitely brought that up today in his speech, get it out of the way, and then in all of his interviews. Uh, and there has been no official decision made, but uh, they say they're in the process of kind of finalizing that, and they are good with 11 teams. He went so far as to say, like, we're not calling anybody. If somebody wants to call us, you have my phone number. We're happy to talk if you think you add value, but our ADs feel pretty good with 11 teams, um, and so we're not trying to, to go to 12. So. Um, some things to kind of maybe talk about with regards to that. Well, first of all, I mean, what do you think about that? And actually, Austin, I don't think you were on that episode that we talked about UConn. That was the one that you missed or no? Yeah, uh, that was the one I was out for. Um, I don't so, yeah, I'd love to get your take. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a while now, so it's not as fresh in my mind as it was a few weeks ago. But I would say I, I, ideally I think you want 12 if it makes sense and if it works. And obviously the exciting, fun thing to do, especially on Twitter, is right away to start speculating and throw out the most random programs you can think of because that seems to be what, what happened for the next 48 hours or so after UConn made that announcement. Probably longer than that. But I can understand where the AAC as an organization is saying, hey, we're fine with these 11 and I think Oresco has even said, like, hey, we will listen to whoever wants to make a pitch, right? But we're not going to be actively seeking, as you said. So I think that's the best approach, really. Like, one, you don't want to be known as kind of poaching other conferences. Like, I don't think it necessarily gives your conference a good rap. 
He, and he made that point. He, he said, like, hey, I'm good friends with all the other commissioners for these G5 conferences, even though obviously the AAC likes to tout the P6 thing. And, it, I mean, why wouldn't they? Like, that's what they're trying to do to yeah. increase the brand. But he said that, like, we don't want to have that reputation of coming in and just trying to talk to everybody and find somebody and scoop somebody out and poach. So. And that's what, I mean, I think across the board there are a few programs that would excite me to be the 12th, but nothing is like, man, we have to get so-and-so. I know BYU might be the name that's thrown out there that would be – great to get but then that geographic footprint is very different and it probably doesn't make sense for BYU to even do that so outside of that to me there's there's no one who really uh, answers my call necessarily to, to fill that gap I know we talked about Army and Air Force last time if if I had to pick one or the other um, I would pick Air Force to, to yeah, make that same. plunge um, but I don't think that makes sense either so yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we had that discussion. So, so they want to stay at eleven. That's the that's sounds like that'll be the plan unless you know somebody reaches out to them um, and convinces them that it's worth it. But they seem content with that. So the natural discussion that comes from that then is okay if they're going to stay at eleven. Well, first of all, like pretty awkward. Like Randy Edsel's there, UConn's there, and there's just, I mean, it's pretty awkward that he's doing interviews. They don't know when UConn football. Is, they still don't know when they're leaving. Um, whether it's going to be next year or two years. Um, so. It's just kind of like, I don't know, it's just weird that they're still going to be around potentially for two more years, be there at media days again next year. And, and uh, Oresco is basically saying, like, in his speech, nope, we have absolutely zero chance that they're going to stay as a football-only member, and we don't want you to see yeah. um, in the, a lot of ways. The more prolonged that is, like, what does that do to your recruiting, right? Like, who wants to necessarily yeah. go play there if you have no idea what it's going to be three years from now? Yeah, and the most likely scenario, right, is that they're going to be independent for some period of time, and like I, I don't know, home and away with UMass and New Mexico State every year. Like, is that what you're going to yeah. do? <laughs> yep, and and so I mean, whatever we can get that was a whole conversation that we didn't need that we didn't have. <laughs> right. We're not focusing on UConn on this podcast, you know, unless Navy's playing them. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they went all in for basketball. Yeah, right? like that's, good basketball that's, that's move for them. I'll give them that. Um, so, but so we're at eleven now, and it's going to be awkward potentially for another year. Um, but if we stay at 11, that means Oresco said the idea would be no divisions. Six and five doesn't make sense, the undivided division. Um, and so without the divisions, he's promoting an eight-game um, conference schedule and kind of a round-robin type deal for that, but but eight games, so you're not going to play everybody in the conference. Uh, and so I'm curious to think you, either of your perspective on – the the thought of the Big Twelve model of not having two divisions, not having division winners, and just having um, the top two teams play each other in the championship game. Now, not everybody's playing everybody, so they may or may not have played each other in the regular season. So it could be a repeat. Um, and and just going to that model, I mean, does that excite you? What are your thoughts on losing divisions and and two best teams from the season conference record wise playing? I personally think that it's a – I think it's good because it's simple enough, but I don't think that they can go at it with the exact same way that the Big 12 does it. The Big 12 is obviously a much bigger conference with in terms of like money and teams with their fan support and that kind of thing. But I think that it is a good, good idea straight up, especially with the varied talent that you have across the, the AAC – with uh, USF and UCF, and I mean even I mean really even some of the some of the lower teams, but I think that it gives the potential for uh, teams like Tulane to kind of bump themselves up, and because it's really when you get down to something like that, 
to me, and maybe you can give me a different perspective because I'm not I'm not a huge like conference analytics guy. Whenever I hear these conversations, the only reason why I got into it this year was because Air Force was thrown around for joining in. Um, but I just I just get the feeling that it's the simplest way for casual college football fans to be able to digest what exactly is going on with the AAC. Yeah, I mean, I can see that argument. Awesome. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, divisions to me only make sense when you're trying to create a championship game between two opponents that what likely have not played each other, right? It doesn't necessarily mean they're the two best teams out there. I mean, you can look at the SEC where the West is dominating now. A decade ago or so, it was the East, right? I mean, you can see how that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the two best teams uh, in the conference. They very likely are in the same division. Um, so I like that it creates a smooth kind of complete structure with the two divisions, but I don't necessarily think that's the best necessarily way to put games out there or decide a true champion, uh, which I wouldn't have felt that. It's funny that I say that out loud because I don't know if I would have said that before the AAC was in the situation, so I'd probably sound like a homer. But when I take a step back and think about it, that's kind of the conclusion I've come to. One thing you talked about earlier on, I saw a rumor going around today that there was hints that the schedule would be two of the same opponents every year and then six rotating. So you would kind of hold on to two, I don't want to call them rivalries, but kind of. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what that's what the SEC and the ACC do, right? Like like they, they have an, an, the West have East rivals and then potentially a um you know another game or whatever that that's that's they keep that game that develops a rivalry so it's like a pseudo conference almost (laughs) i mean i feel like that was a shot coming out of the mountain west against the uh, aac yeah well i think that they're you i mean those have to be strategic so that's that's the whole planning piece of this is going to be like how do you determine that right like so some of them are going to be obvious i think right like usf and ucf if there's no divisions that's a game that has to happen every year navy's going to say navy's going to say get me to texas like right i want to be in texas Yep, they want to go to texas so what so whether it's houston or smu that would be one and i don't know what they i don't know what they would say otherwise probably would want to go to florida maybe even ohio but i'd say tennessee um, even too i don't know for fans, yeah, I mean the Memphis one would be good, but I, I would like to have the two lane rivalry personally, which which isn't what they would say. That's not what Navy would say, um, but that's what I would want. Uh, I don't know. I made the so. joke and said it should be Tulane and SMU because those are the two uh, trophies. Trophies that we already have, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of them we don't have. One of them we really have. One, one yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Tryon Trophy and and the Gantz Trophy or whatever. Yeah, I mean that that would be. That'd be good. Um, and so I mean, that, that that's a possibility. But then the, whoever's got to decide that, right? Of like who's going to be the two rivals? Because let's be honest, in the AAC, um, there aren't really serious rivals, right? The whole UConn um, UCF <laughs> conflict thing, right? That's the perfect example of Bob Diaco trying to just make up a rivalry out of nowhere. Um, and so we don't have established, real established rivalries um, to that degree. But but I'm sure they could look at it and figure out what makes the most sense and do something like that. Uh, but then how do you do the schedule balance of like, there's pretty good parity, but I mean, is somebody just going to get that lucky schedule every year where you're playing um, the, the bottom teams consistently for that season and you've got the best shot. I mean, I guess that's just how it would, how it would work out, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, the other thing that we kind of talked about beforehand before we came on is in order to do this with an eight, game conference schedule uh they have to submit a waiver to to the ncaa to not 
in order to hold a conference championship game because you have to play everybody in order to do that now without having the divisions. The Big 12 does that. Um, so what are your thoughts on what happens if that waiver comes back and they, they don't get that? I mean, they don't get the waiver and they don't have a conference championship game. What are the positive and negative potential implications of that, and particularly for the G5 New Year's Six Bowl slot? Uh, I don't know. You have any? You have any th- I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have any thoughts on that? So, as a Mountain West guy, uh, if Boise State um, has two losses but but goes on to win the the Mountain West and has to go to the conference championship game and has that extra victory in a championship game, and the AACs waiver gets denied and so then UCF they you know they went undefeated but they don't have to play a conference championship game and they just kind of ride out that weekend and, and get the New Year's Six game what like how is that gonna make you feel as a Mountain West guy um see it's hard because I suppose I'm supposed to say unhappy <laughs> I think it would be what I'm what I'm definitely supposed to say but I I just get the feeling that the conferences are so different in the way in the teams that they play and the way that their schedules are set that it doesn't bother me too much. But once again, I think this just goes back to the seriousness of the conference. It's like if you want to be taken seriously, you have to come up with some kind of way of saying that you actually played your way in, especially when you have a team like UCF who is trying to make a case and say that they're actually national champions. I think that's one of the toughest dynamics about the AAC is that you have, you know, you have this team who claims that they're on, on par with Alabama, um, Ohio State, some of the West Coast teams, and then you have – you know, lower teams um, who who would really never even probably sniff a national championship. So I think for something like that, in order to, to maintain legitimacy, which the AAC seems to really care about in terms of academics and pushing for the sixth power conference, uh, I don't know what they would do. And I think it's a tough sell, but they need an actual championship game. Yeah, and I think, let's just be clear, UCF's never going to the national championship game. Like, that's just... If no, that hasn't been no, made evident no. in the last couple of seasons, it's not happening, right, in the current structure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah, it's good. Awesome. What are your thoughts on if they, for some reason, aren't able to have a championship game because of this? Yeah, I mean, obviously that kind of adds to it. Let's say that is championship week where that game is played because the schedule is kind of drawn out, like the regular season schedule and what you have. I doubt they set it up like this, but if UCF is playing Tulsa in that final game or whoever that might be, right, and then uh, their 10th win of the year, I would feel a little cheated out if I was another conference and like you said they might be playing what if they don't play Memphis or Houston that year or whatever it might be and now you're like really are they really like the best G5 team out there like that's up for debate you know and so um, there's already gray area I think it would create even more so gray area uh, so something you, you'd probably want to avoid I'm really curious to see, think what and if <clears throat> I guess the NCAA is the one who decides to grants the waiver right it's not uh, you know, it's not the committee or anything like that, the college football playoff committee or anything. So I feel like it would be level-headed in the decision, which is funny. I'm saying the NCAA would be level-headed in the decision. But what I mean by that is I don't think there'd be necessarily like Power 5 or other G5 influences trying to make it advantageous to one group or the other. Yeah, unless UCF has pissed off enough people to... To, to somehow that be a hey, the NCAA game. was the one who crowned them a national champion, right? Yeah, like it's their own yeah. fault. <laughs> All right, so like let's let's look at last thing before we jump into the Navy side of things, and this will lead right into it. So let's look at it from the Navy perspective because we've kind of talked conference stuff. Let's get to the the service time specific. Like if you're a Navy fan, though, um, 
you know, part of the reason for joining the conference was the chance to, to, to get to that point, right? Like that's the goal. Like that's part of it is we want to be in the best G5 conference because potentially we could get to the top and win a championship game and go to the New Year's Six Bowl. Like that would be the ultimate goal, right? That's, that's the, the crown jewel. And Navy has gotten in the championship game, lost to Temple, right? And that was a devastating, you know, devastating loss. But that spilled right into the next week, right? And so, like, as a Navy fan, are you okay? Like, you could potentially still be conference champion in the regular season, and you get that extra week uh, before Army and don't have to worry about a championship game in this case? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, what, what do you think, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I was at that AAC, AAC championship game, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then I remember watching the Army-Navy game just the next week. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's something you always wrestle through. I mean, I, I love the opportunity to make it to a championship game. Like, that's obviously a unique opportunity for Navy being its first one and everything. But, um, yeah, there's some silver lining there for sure that I haven't, I haven't thought about. That I, I mean, I'm still on the understanding that if Navy was to ever make it to the championship game, it's a pretty successful season anyway at that point. Uh, still always would like to beat Army, obviously, but if we're making it into our conference championship game, like, and there's a negative after that, which we saw just a few years ago, like, I still think that's a pretty good season. No, I agree. I, it's just going back to that. Maybe it's just, and we can do this because Kayla's not on here, right? We can go ahead and do some bashing of, like, sorry, like, arm, whatever. You can say, oh, you don't know how it's going to play out. Like, with with Wilworth playing in the Army-Navy game that year and A.B. not getting that first start and having to be thrown in there, I'm sorry, like, even the way the game turned out, like Navy's winning that game. Um, and so it's a two year streak, which is still like hard to swallow that, that we um, got to that point And in large part because of ha- going to play in the conference. Yeah. Championship and I've always wondered like what, what that did to AB psyche. Like honestly, from that point yeah. forward, like he, even in that game, I remember the, like the, uh, the uh, cameras were on him and he looked lost and kind of timid you yeah, know especially the first half right he, he made some strides yeah. in the second half but that first half was just anyway we could go on we could talk about that for a long time too we won't all right yeah yeah you're right you're right let's move on all right so let's go to hey i, um, I got a i got a question i think we're probably gonna end up going to break here soon but i got a question then that popped up this is for scott you're uh you've got to kick one mountain west football member out of the conference to make yourself to 11 teams who are you kicking out new mexico dang didn't even think twice. Easy. <laughs> Lobos are gone, huh? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Now you guys know. Mount West goes to 11. That's who we're, that's who we're kicking out. All right. So let, let us, let's go. Thanks for throwing Scott some love there because we about to talk Navy a little bit. I'm going to go through. I, I, I watched Ken's interview with ESPN, um, Coach Nia Matalolo, um for Navy. It's like I, just, I wrote down a few things that we could talk about for just a couple minutes before we go to break. So uh, interesting note that I actually had not, and we're going to get into a whole episode on Navy schedule, right? Um, down the road coming up soon in a few weeks, but um, maybe I just hadn't looked at the schedule closely enough. Navy's two buys for this year are both within the first four weeks of the season. By the time we get out of September, they've had both their bye weeks and they play the rest of the year every week. Um, so that was an interesting thought and something I hadn't looked at in the schedule. And now I'm going to go back to the schedule, which I was already probably not, you know, I was putting at around six wins and I may have to kind of rethink a couple because of that. I think that will impact, um, potentially down the road. That's just, I don't know. It's tough. And last year they had a tough schedule as far as travel and stuff, right? Traveling way more than anybody else in the country. Um, uh, you know, C- Coach Ken says it's a home run with the defensive staff bringing him in. Of course, he's going to say that, but that's going to be a huge part of of that 
you know, leading into the Navy season is what does Brian Newberry do and how quickly is the biggest thing. Like I, I believe strongly that, you know, next year or the year after we're going to get there, it's going to be great. But how quickly do we get up to speed? Is it going to be obviously a big part of this year? Um, and so here's what the big, the big one to me is coach Ken made it very clear. Malcolm is the guy. He is exclusively a quarterback this year. He said that was a mistake by my, he said that today, a mistake on my part to do the bounce around last year and pull him too soon. And he's exclusive, exclusively a quarterback. So thoughts from either of you on that, um, him kind of coming out before the season and saying, Malcolm's the guy, he's, as long as he's healthy, he's playing quarterback. I'm jealous. I mean, I'm just <laughs> being able to actually have a coach yeah. who comes out and says that. So, I mean, I think it's a good play. Stand by on your guy. Yeah. Let him, let, let Malcolm kind of switch that around in his brain a little bit. And, and really own the team and that's to me when when navy has a guy that they're behind that is a scary scary thing um for our offense i think or for our team i think that's been a huge advantage for air force over the last couple years um is has been i mean even when we lost um it's basically just been kind of the uncertainty with what's going on in terms of having a leader on their team um and bouncing around so i think this will probably bring a little bit of a renewed energy to the Navy offense, and I think it's a great move by the coach. Yeah, I mean, I believe that Coach Ken probably wrestles with that decision almost on a daily basis than what he did last year. I'm not yeah. saying the results would be any different, but if you look at Malcolm's numbers at quarterback, I mean, he had some standout games, right? I think he has... I think I heard something where he has maybe two of the five longest rushes or something in Navy history or something like that under his belt. Like, I mean, he, the joke around, we called him playmaker Perry, right? Cause that's, that's what he is. I mean, there's going to be times where he didn't make the right read or made a bad decision and, you know, struggles throwing the ball, which obviously needs someone to be able to consistently be some sort of weapon back there. But um, he does have the most playmaking abilities, so he's going to touch the ball more often than anybody else. So maybe that's the difference in one or two different wins last year. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if it impacts the season or not. Obviously, the biggest take things are going to be decision making ability in the offense and ability to actually run the offense right, and then the the, the passing game, which is a funny thing to say, but it, it's just true. Like he become we become two dimensional. And then with the lack of production of the slot backs last year, I mean, you really become kind of one-dimensional, right? And then you're either playing, you know, you're hoping that he makes a break, a play, a play, like you said, playmaker Perry, like he makes the big play um, that's not really scripted. It's just he, he, he's got that capability or the fullback. And um, so it, I just, the decision-making and then the, the passing game um, has he improved there. But I, I, but I agree, like given the last year and a half, I'm happy that this is the road that the road that Ken's taken. Like, I don't know what the season's going to look like. I'm not optimistic that it's, that it's a, a bowl season, um, you know, with the new defensive staff. I don't know. We haven't really talked about that. We'll get into that more in the preview show of where we think they're going to fall out win wise, but I'm happy. Like I'm, I, that's what I would want. Like, let's just go, let's go. If Malcolm's a guy, let's go do it and we'll see what happens. Let's, let's get to six wins and get to a bowl game. So I'm just ready for uh, football, man. Let's do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I know. We're almost there. It's getting close. Talk about the new weight room, which is now finally done, so they're no longer in the prison um, prison weight room from last year, which I don't know if that had any impact last year, but they were. They were in rickets, like, you know, or not rickets, in um, Halsey, like, cordoned off by themselves 
in in a makeshift weight room. So they finally are back in the football dedicated weight room in the air conditioning. Um, but then the one other thing I want to talk about that I thought was interesting that was brought up by ESPN, which is just not something you hear talked about. Um, they're in Newport, right? And Naps is in Newport. And finally, somebody brought up like the importance of Naps, and it was funny because I still don't think they understand because they basically asked like do you bring players in from naps? Like how does, you know, so it's still this misunderstanding of what the prep school is. Um, but the comment I wrote it down, the comment that Kim made is naps is the foundation and lifeblood of our program. Um, so for both of you, what do you think about kind of that statement of the importance of the prep school? Um, it's not something we talk about that much, but it, but it, a large majority of the players are coming from the prep school. So to say that like it's the lifeblood of the program um, for either one of you, for the air force prep school or for naps, you know, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I went to the prep school, the Air Force prep school. So um, I've seen it with a lot of friends um, who, who went through that. And what it does to me is it gives these players an opportunity to kind of re – I mean, it's really just breaking down your game and building you up to go and play in the triple option offense. A lot of these quarterbacks – I mean, a lot of these players that we get, we get a lot of quarterbacks who are dual threats and stuff, but they haven't necessarily been playing in that. So really – giving it a chance to you know giving them a, a chance to kind of get comfortable with the military aspect and, and be able to place a focus on football I think it's a really good thing um I don't have any statistics on attrition rates but just from kind of anecdotally I remember we lost a lot of direct entry football players and uh I mean that just comes in because when you get that recruiting treatment um coming in you know we, we I think service academies and and I can only speak for air force but the way we do recruiting is just like anybody else hey this is the best deal um they kind of lighten it when they're talking about the difficulty of the academics and um the military aspect but the bottom line is that those to the people who are actually at the academy the staff aside from the coaches that is what's the most important thing to them so um uh, I think it is a good thing. I think it does a lot of things in terms of actual football. I might even be stretching a little bit in saying that these players um, need to be completely re, you know, restructured to understand triple option. Uh, but I do stand by that a little bit. But I, I think mostly that's what it's for. And if you look at a lot of the Air Force greats who played, um, even going back to like Bart Weiss, who was our last, I believe he was our last Heisman finalist. He went to the prep school and um, Tim Jefferson and a lot of guys like that. Uh, who have been really good for our program, they're all products of the prep school. So it just gives you that opportunity to get comfortable with what the academy is going to be like in a lower pressure environment and uh, and get up there ready to play. Yeah, I, I look at that, the advantage is even beyond the military aspect, which you touched up on, Scott, like uh, being able to run the offense. I think the service academies have started recruiting players who might not come from a traditional triple option background high school games are changing so there's probably less triple option schools out there so it's kind of giving them that ability to kind of mesh and understand it and it kind of creates that five-year program that some of the other schools are really kind of replicating with the red shirt program which i think is what troy calhoun would love to have we were heard to mention that a few times um but that's kind of what the prep school offers in terms of a competitive standpoint on the football field yeah, you're getting a free fifth year out of them, essentially, right? Of you're getting yeah. that redshirt year for every single player that that goes to the prep school. And I think the 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 actual school staff is very in tune with what kind of coaches and offensive and defensive schemes are being run there, right? Like yeah. there's a plan there between the two schools. Yeah. Oh yeah, they talk for sure. Yeah, and most most of the coaches. Um, 
who are there played for Air Force uh, in some capacity even. And I think, you know, a while ago we had like a lieutenant colonel who was coaching. And I know he played with, um, I think he played with Troy Calhoun back in the day. So, yeah, they're they're very, very close. And the competition that they play is also very good. Um, like when I was there, what was his name? I think Zach Mettenberg from LSU, who was a JUCO transfer after he got in trouble. They played against them. Um and, and a lot of guys who were JUCO bounce backs who went to those schools. So the competition is fantastic that they play against. And it's a good way to basically see um, exactly how these guys are going to kind of pan out against bigger teams. So yeah. and it's, then, a, it's an advantage for us. Uh, another conversation for another day. Because once again, we could, we should, we should have an episode about, I think, about the prep school because people, not for us, for people, people have no idea that the prep school even exists, first of all, and that, you know, the role that it plays and, the, not just the football program, but the athletics programs as a whole at the service academy. So, like, that would be a great just discussion to kind of have and maybe have a guest on that's a coach at, at the prep school or something like that. So, something we should look into. But sure. another conversation for another day is um, the co location of the prep schools, right, at Air Force and Army versus the fact that Navy is between Annapolis and Newport. And that presents some challenges. And that, once again, that's another discussion for another day. But um, it's just, it, 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 the prep school thing is just fascinating, I think, for the service academies and how they get to use that to their advantage, um, especially in football. So, I'm um, just interesting to hear Ken say that fact, like, straight out, like, that's the lifeblood of our program. And, uh, I mean, obviously, if you're bringing in two-thirds of the players through there, then, yeah, uh, um, that's that's the lifeblood of your program. So, um, cool, cool mention there. AAC Media Days, sounds like it was a good time. Uh, and, and we're going to head to a commercial break. On the other side of the commercial break, we're going to talk the rest of the offensive breakdowns besides quarterbacks, which we dedicated last episode to. So uh, we'll catch you on the other side of the commercial break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome back to Against All Enemies podcast. Uh, getting close to football season here. I am super excited, super pumped. Um, so we just talked at AC media days. Now let's move into some more offensive previews. We talked to quarterbacks last time. And even at the beginning of this podcast about just how exciting it is to have, um, just really just great talent at the quarterback position for all three teams with the talent, there, potential for really good seasons for every single one of the service Academy teams with quarterbacks leading the way, but they're not going to be able to accomplish that in the triple option without good, uh, uh, other pieces on the offense. Right. And, um, so that kind of, well, I'd say it starts the offensive line, but we're going to talk running backs first. So, um, we did our, our previews for, uh, all of these positions already on against So go check it out go give them a read. Um, really good work there by everybody for all three service academies. But like, let's start with running backs and let's, um, let's go air force Scott. Like what do we got? So uh, we have a big story, right? Coming out of the spring. Um, and so you can take it away with that as far as loss of big time potential rusher, um, and what's left, I guess, you know, behind him that's going to step in. Yeah, so um, we're not 100% sure uh, what exactly is going on with the loss of Cole Fagan. Um, I mean, and I don't want to speculate on it, but yeah, I think if it was super serious, um, 
that we would there would definitely be a news story about it. There would be something released if it was something legal. But um, it, for anybody who might may not be kind of in the know, uh, academy service academies are are really have a pretty high scrutiny over their players. And so if somebody gets in trouble in even an academic sense or uh, with the regulations that are at the academy, that could be a reason why they would be pulled off the team. So. Not 100% sure. Uh, haven't really heard any news in terms of him potentially returning, uh, but we're okay. I would say that our running back situation is kind of in the middle in terms of the components of the offense of um, what we really need to be successful. We have some. We have a few returners like uh, Caden Remsburg and also Nolan Erickson uh, with both have experience. Our, our fullbacks, uh, we have Taven Berto who's going to be coming back, and, and I said – on againstallenemies.com on, on the breakdown basically that he looks like as much of a running back as anybody else um but really it's if you look at the death chart the only person on there who kind of gives me a little bit of a question mark haven't heard much about him is uh hakeem patrick he's going to be coming in as a sophomore uh six foot 230 pounds so just a big guy uh, and I think it really depends on what we're going to do with the offense. Uh, I, I think that the part of the reason why, and we talk about wide receivers, I'll talk about this point too, but I think part of the reason why we are more likely going to go with Donald Hammond is because um, we have a decently strong running game, so having that in the option is a big play. Um, but really, I think that Caden Remsburg coming back is is going to be our biggest guy in terms of carries. He had a lot of – he played in most of the games last year. He had 100 rushes ran for over 500 yards and a few touchdowns. So he's kind of a guy who can really pound it in. Um, you know, he's got a lower center of gravity at 5'9 and about 185 pounds. He's a little bit of a workhorse. And then, um, but what's really important in a triple option is being able to split it up. You know, uh, it's a huge workload for that position. So being able to have Nolan Erickson in there and play is a really good thing. And he's about 10 pounds heavier than Caden Roseberg. I love height weight stats and a triple option, especially because I think that it, it shows kind of the longevity of players across the season. And so I really like where we're at with that position. Um, and in terms, like I said, with fullback, really, really comfortable with Taven Berto. Uh, he's a big dude. And then we also have Christian Mallard as well to kind of, to kind of backfill wherever that's needed. So a little bit of versatility, um, some returning talent. Hopefully they picked up a few things over the off season, but I think it's going to be a pretty standard air force offense. I, I don't think anybody really stands out. That's going to be on any trophy watch list or anything like that. I think it's going to have to be just them working as a cohesive unit and being comfortable with one another. Yeah. And I mean, Rimsburg, I think he, he very shifty, very good year last year. You're, I think, spot on as far as he's going to be the the guy um in a lot of ways with if fagan's not playing at all and then and interesting stat that you put in there in the article right of of erickson is kind of the other slot back of uh only player in the top six running backs last year that didn't record a, a negative play no loss of yards um so that's pretty cool and so having that you know in birdo um at the fullback position is going to be you know the guy i feel like i guess my big question for you would be the depth you know you have to trust in this in this system right in this triple option system that there's going to be depth there's going to be other players that can step up and, and execute um they don't have to make the home run plays right they just have to do their job um and and so they'll be able to step up but are you concerned at all about the depth uh i hope that they can work i, I am slightly worried about depth especially because we also had and once again, I'm kind of really leaning into this to the wide receiver discussion. Um, but we also lost Ben Peterson as a running back as he made that switch. 
um, and he's going over to play wide receiver. So, yeah, I am a little bit worried about depth. I think Caden Remsburg is going to have a huge workload. And once again, one of the things that I love talking about is intangibles. I think leadership and being vocal and letting coaches know when they need a break and they need rest, that's kind of important. Um, And like I said, I think that this kind of the situation that we're working with in terms of both running backs and wide receivers is a big reason why we picked Donald Hammond. And so I think not counting him out and kind of setting up the offense that way, uh, it's not really a 50-50 option whether you keep or pitch. I think we're going to see Donald Hammond running the ball a lot too, kind of up the middle for those five and six yards. And so the places where it's really important, kind of in the red zone, and then also on third and fourth down conversions, because we had a pretty low third down conversion rate. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from us not really trying to do anything when we have third and long. Um, but I, I think having those three, I'm very comfortable with that situation. And I think I don't think that we'll ever see um, anybody deeper on the depth chart who's going to be in on those really important plays. I think we're going to stick with that that basically starting three. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, as you should in a lot of ways, as long as those guys stay healthy. So as long as they're healthy, right, that probably isn't too big of a concern. So hopefully that's the case. All right, let's switch yeah. to Navy, um, and then we'll do a really quick Army rundown just to satisfy Army folks if anybody's still hanging around. No, probably not because we're not really talking Army today. But uh, Austin, so Navy's, Navy's running backs coming into the year, there are definitely some losses, but there is a there are um, some pretty bright spots, I would say, at all the positions if they can play to their potential, um, which will be the big key. But, yeah, go ahead and run us through kind of both the slot back and fullback position because there's – yeah there's some talent there i think when we talk about uh what we're calling running backs uh, i think it starts with nelson smith for uh for navy who i, I know you're excited about this year as well i think I you even made the comment that he's probably gonna have the i don't know if you said probably but you said he could very well have the best fullback numbers for the service academies this year Is that can, I can that. put you on record still you you can yeah, i, I would, think i, I do that. if i was i'll, I'll, tell, I'll give you a second one if I'm aside from when we talk wide receivers, we'll talk wide receivers in a minute. Um, potentially, you know, I I know what I kind of hope Malcolm Perry does, and and you know, overall on the team, if you're ta- especially on the offensive side of the ball, I'll just go ahead and say like I feel like Nelson Smith is the breakout player for the offense this year, and has um, just if he stays healthy, has a really good season and puts up really good numbers. And yes, um, you can put me on record. I, I feel like at the end of the year, there's a good chance he has the best season for any fullback from any service academy. Yeah, and I I would ag- agree with that. And I think with Malcolm Perry's threats, if you can get him outside, get some good blocking, you know, from the line, the wide receivers, and it's going to open up that Nelson Smith game in the middle. And and I think uh, he has the dynamic ability as well as the speed to kind of succeed there right like i mean that's mm-hmm. that's what he's built for right yep um, absolutely and i think uh we look beyond that too um on the depth chart coach ken is on record i think saying it's a toss-up pretty much second through four and it's not necessarily that there's a big drop i would say there's a drop off between one and two because they're excited about nelson smith but i think they're also confident in two three four and say hey they're all pretty comparable in skill level uh so you might see a bunch of different people run that fullback position this year with most of the load going, I think to your right, as long as Nelson Smith can st- stay healthy, it's going to be him. But beyond that, I'm excited. So there's some other uh, younger guys, because I think the rest of the depth chart might be sophomores. Nelson Smith himself is a junior. So he's going to kind of be leading that room and you're going to be working towards another year, right? So we've already said this year itself might not be the six win season. Maybe is hopeful to get in terms of making it to a bowl game. But I think that fullback locker room is just going to get better and better every single 
uh, week and should be better for, for whatever 2020 proposes or poses as well. So that's exciting to watch. That's going to be a good story to unfold. Yeah. What about slotbacks? Slotbacks. Um, I think, uh, you've, you've got people with experience, right? You've got a four players or so that have over a hundred, 150, 200 yards, somewhere in that range. So no one who's coming in there with, a multitude of experience, but a lot of players who are going in there with some touches and are comfortable playing in FBS football, and it's not going to be a shell shock for them, and they're probably hungry to get more involved. Uh, I know uh, with with CJ Williams and Taj Malloy, I think are kind of going to be your your go to names that you hear the most often. Um, but you've got depth behind. Uh, I know uh, Miles Fells is out there. I know we, we're going to start to to know hopefully another Hawaiian name here this upcoming season. Uh, and Keone Cordell, I don't even want to try to pronounce the last name. Mikhail? <laughs> What's your? What? Yeah, we got man. Could, right. We looked at the pronunciation guide, couldn't find it. Um, but I think uh, that's something we can maybe laugh about. Hopefully, by the end of the season, in terms of, uh, of the speed that he's able to put together, and kind of a freak athlete. Yeah, well, I think he was a kicker in, in high school or something as well, and was like a first team All State Hawaii or second team All State kicker or something like that. Sorry, you were going to say and when we when we uh, do our not to spoil things and get, put get ahead of ourselves, right? But when we do our live show um, for the first game, we do our own iron reunion. And maybe we can get Kaipo around and we can we can joke about this, and maybe Kaipo can help us out. Um, yeah, to to be able to. I know. couldn't say Kaipo Noah Kaiko and Hana until you know he was putting up numbers, and I was like, I gotta learn how to say that name. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go to Notre Dame, we have to know how to say that because we're going to walk around South Bend, Indiana, all night screaming Kaipo Noah. Kayaku and Hata. So did that. Um, but no, when I <laughs> slot backs on that show, I really think it's going to come down to, to CJ Williams and Taj Malloy, and they're starting to have the depth chart opposite of each other. Um, so both have yeah about 200 yards of experience from actually CJ Williams has 300, 370 yards from last year. Uh, and even had 187 yards and in, in receiving. So probably more versatile in terms of what we usually see out there. So we'll see a, We'll see that unfold. But I, I do think when we talk about running backs, Nelson Smith is the name you're going to have to pay attention to in the fullback spot. Yeah, and it's exciting. And it's interesting, um, during the ESPN interview today, during AAC Media Days, and obviously the guy doing the interview has got 12 teams, or, yeah, well, it's still 12 teams. 12 teams he's got to cover for the day, doing interviews with every head coach. He's got his notes that somebody, you know, made for him or whatever. Um, but the one name he mentioned outside of Malcolm Perry to Ken in their short five-minute interview was C.J. Williams, actually. Um, as and he is he's very talented out of the backfield as a receiver too like he's got I mean the guy's got good hands um, he's fat I mean he's he's your what you want in a Navy slot back so um, hopefully between him Taz Malloy and um, and obviously Nelson Smith at fullback uh, you know the, the thing we already kind of started the conversation this will get into maybe the Navy preview show of just the utilization of the slot back I think has to has to change this year has to be improved um in order to to have that real triple option um and we know and ivan has admitted that they got away from that sun right the, the real you know triple option kind of offense so that's another conversation for another day all right i'm gonna quickly run through army right um i can say the fullback thing with pretty pretty good confidence because um uh darnell wolfork is gone right at, at army as is andy davidson uh, and kaylin holt so they're kind of, they're going to the next guy down, Connor Slomka, big guy, good guy, probably going to have a big year as the guy um, for Army fullbacks, um, about a 300-yard season last year um, and four touchdowns. So, um, and But the fullbacks last year accounted for 23 of Army's 39 rushing touchdowns. So that's a big number. So who steps up there behind Slomka? And that position, I think, 
um, maybe one of the positions to watch for Army's offense. Um, we know what Kelvin Hopkins Jr. can do. We know some of the good receivers they have, slot backs, but how does the fullback room step up with the loss of a guy like Woolfork, who accounted for so much of that offense um, last year? If you're looking for a reason that maybe, say, Army could potentially slide at all in a couple games, even though the schedule is pretty cupcake um, schedule, maybe that's one where you look like who's going to step up fullbacks. Slot backs, um, you know, they they relied on Jordan Asbury out of the backfield as a receiver a ton last year, and he was electric. I mean, some the Eastern Michigan game comes to mind where it was just like the plays he was making. I watched that game or are, are, were crazy. Um, the guy this year has got to step up that, that I think was the second leading receiver. We'll talk receivers in a minute, but Kel Walker, Kel Walker's the guy um, for the Army slot backs that's uh that's going to step up this year and, and going to have to um continue to to lead the way both in the in the pitch game as as a slot back but also um out of the backfield as a receiver and that we know that army likes to to utilize that. all three of the teams do obviously the, that kind of wheel route um and asbury was so good at that last year so can kel walker which i think he can step up and be that guy um this year for army at slot back that's going to be some things to watch so um that's your quick rundown on army army running backs so let's move back to air force wide receiver tight end scott sounded like you had a lot teed up that you want to talk about with the wide receiver tight end group so and i actually wrote this article right am i wrong i did yeah you did yeah yeah i wrote this article so i got to write the air force wide receiver tight end article so you know you can go ahead and correct me on whatever i screwed up yeah no uh so i mean the whole this kind of goes back to discussion i think originally if you look at why are we going to probably go with donald hammond i think we're going to rely more on running this season um we've had two converts we had one db and one running back who are both playing wide receiver this season uh it's really up in the air as to who's going to be playing our depth chart is the only person uh who actually started last season was gerard sanders and brandon lewis had playing time in four games at a few catches but these guys uh david cormier uh luke bonahek bohanek uh logan man and amari terry Daniel Morris and Jake Spiewak. Uh, I mean, those guys have zero playing experience. So I think that really what Mike Thiessen did and Coach Calhoun did was take a look and say, we are not going to be able to rely on this as much, even with the trick plays. Because, I mean, really, when we when we kind of go and throw these long bombs, it's super dependent. It's not just the quarterback. It's super dependent on having quality receivers and losing Marcus Bennett and Rob Cleveland. Um, even if they weren't necessarily on the same level as Jalen Robinette, they were, it was still just that aspect of having three wide receivers who, who's he going to throw it to, which kind of think, which was kind of the thing that I think left a lot of defenses on their heels. Um, so I'm definitely a little bit nervous this season for the, in that department, and it's going to put a lot more pressure on our running backs. Um, but conversely, if we don't have a lot of game film with these younger guys to go on, then, you know, maybe they're unscouted. Maybe we'll get away uh, with some things because I've said this before about our season, the way the way it's basically broken down. You don't know anything about our team, in my opinion, from watching film until we are probably past Navy because we have um, an, F, an FCS team that we play and then we have a week off and then we go into a Power 5 game and then we have two very different conference matchups and then it's straight to Navy. So no, we might not even have our team figured out um, and be scoutable until you know week six or seven. And so it's really just going to be dependent on who steps up and how much faith – 
our coaching staff wants to put into these wide receivers and our quarterback. And so um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic. And I think that it really is, is the one thing, even though I'm probably the lone person who's been pushing for Isaiah Sanders, I think it, it really makes a great case for Donald Hammond to be the starter. And, and maybe you are the only person pushing for that. I don't know, but I think there's validity and you watch that and we, that was a conversation we already had, but the Sanders is clearly up to the task and it just depends kind of where you want to go. And maybe receiver is where you're not as deep. And so that maybe that's, maybe that's the deciding factor. And if that, if that's, if that is, maybe that's a blessing in disguise for air force, right? That, that, yeah. that, okay, we'll just go with Hammond and like, that's going to be the guy. Hope, you know, we get to that point and we can put some of this to bed and, and, um, and move forward. But what about, um, I don't even know how you say his name. What, Guispack? How do you say his name? Cade Waggispack. Waggispack. There you go. Um, I mean, once again, I wrote the article on, for the site, but just re- researching and kind of reading about him some, I mean, out of that, you know, they actually call it a tight end in the Air Force system, which you don't usually see in the, you know, service academy offense. But, um, I mean, he had, I think, four four touchdowns, three touchdowns last year, four touchdowns. But, but I mean, yeah. he had the majority – he has the majority of the returning touchdowns coming back this year, um, like 80% of them for – because uh, that was the one knock on on Sanders, right? Is he he is I think has great potential, but uh, he didn't find the end zone last year, uh, and so yeah, um, uh, you know, Cade. It, it seems like to me is kind of a maybe that secret weapon down there in the red zone that he's going to get some opportunities to catch five or six touchdowns this year. He can be. Uh, I see him if I were to make any kind of comparison, maybe like a Jason Witten. Um, not as sure of hands. I mean, he had three touchdowns, but he, I, and I don't know how many times he was targeted, but he only had nine receptions last year. So to me, I, I think he'll be a good player just for quick, like quick slant routes, that kind of thing when we need him. Uh, maybe just switching it up in trickery. Uh, but I mean, I, I think we're going to mostly see him as just an experienced downfield blocker. Um, and we really are not that deep at tight end as well um, past him. So I, I can't see how much we really want to rely on him. But absolutely, um, I can see us maybe just and, – and the one thing that I've really pushed for that I would love to see is a hurry-up package. And I think if we establish that this season and really start using the clock to our advantage a lot like, um, a lot like Army does and how Navy traditionally has – I think we could see a little more action from him um, and, you know, another year, another year of experience uh, in off season to kind of get prepared. And, and I think he hopefully has kind of his blinders on knowing that he's going to be the starting guy because there just really hasn't been much competition for him. So I, I would say I would expect big things. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be in the way of touchdowns, but um, hopefully some more catches, hopefully some more targets and a few more yards. Sweet. All right. So Navy, what do you got, Austin? What are we looking at for Navy wide receivers? I thought it was a really good article, by the way, by Rocky. Not that, not that everybody hasn't done a good job, um, but give Rocky a little shout out. I thought it was a good, good little article he wrote on their wide receivers for Navy. So yeah, and, and I think he uh, he drew attention to the name that I think is probably the most intriguing for the year that uh, he was played some last year as a freshman and uh, and and Michael Cooper, um, but the fact that he also was talked about as being a playmaker kind of early on uh, as a freshman and now stepping into kind of a, a starting role as a sophomore. He has size. He's at 6'5", supposed to be an improved blocker, uh, also has the ability to kind of go up there and get the ball with his height. So I think he'll be the, the fun name to watch on the wide receiver side, which is replacing the wide receiver core is, is almost completely uh, replaced from from what we saw last year aside from, from Cooper himself. Uh, in fact, 
the only senior uh, on the depth chart is OJ Davis, who converted OJ. converted from a linebacker. Did you teach him too? I did. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you're always. I don't, I don't call it bias. You should give him shout outs, right? Yeah. No. Definitely. He's a good. He's a good student, and uh, I'm excited to see him actually make that conversion over. Um, well, it was last year. I mean, he made the conversion last year, right? And uh, to get on the field, he was. He was a really um, good student, and there's been some. I don't remember who wrote it up, Washington Post or something. He's got a, he's got a cool story. Um, so check out check out OJ um, and and yeah, I mean he was he was good, good solid student. I think this will be I think this is the last year I'll have, and he's a senior, so this is the last this is the last class I'll have anybody um, that I can say I taught. But yeah, anyways, no. back to back to OJ and no, like I mean you said it, yeah, he's the senior. He's he's the only one of the six that you read on the depth chart. Um, uh, opposite of Cooper. Uh, is Ryan Mitchell. He's at 6'3", so still has some size and stuff to him as well. I think the story when it comes down to what's going to happen with the receivers is what's going to happen with the quarterback, right? Um, Rocky obviously hit home regarding, hey, wide receivers, a block, 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 which is true, but he also mentioned some big names that Navy is kind of used to hearing in, in, in years previously at that position who can make the the catch when needed, right? Like I think we'll always remember um, – Tyler Carmona's big catch, right? Like I mean, Air Force, right? No offense, no offense, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those things, it, th- this group doesn't have that name recognition yet. Uh, has some some height and some ability to kind of get out there and make that happen. If we can make the quarterback position, uh, make the wide receivers some sort of weapon. So I think that's really the story with with this core. Yeah, I mean, you look at the names that Rocky mentioned and, like, Tyree Barnes and Greg Jones and Jameer Tillman and and Carmona and, like, who they had throwing the ball to them. Um, And that's why I would, you know, when I say Nelson Smith is my breakout candidate, I'm pretty confident in saying that because I would love to say Michael Cooper could be that guy because he showed the flashes as a freshman and he's got the talent. Um, But uh, I'm not confident making that assertion right now because until I see the improvements made from Malcolm Perry in throwing the ball, which I really hope he has done, I'm not saying that that's not the case. Um, but I'm not confident in saying that because of who's throwing him the ball um, and just kind of the, the, the difficulty in, in the um, passing game. Yeah, sure. but with Cooper's athleticism and, and sitting atop the depth chart as a sophomore and everyone's talking him up, like you have to feel like he could be in the mix of those names that you just previously mentioned, right? Absolutely, and there's no, there, yeah, there's no, no doubt he can be. And if I'm Ivan uh, and if I'm Malcolm, like there's got to be some comfort in knowing like – the talent and who you've got trying to go high point that ball even if it's not the most perfect pass spiral you know tightest throw in the window like he's a guy that can go get it wherever it is so having that kind of weapon i think and him starting now and being in there more consistently because we even saw some of that last year um where hopefully even if it's not the greatest pass ever um that it leads to some some completions when you get those one-on-one matchups um after you've been pounding the ball uh, to, to open up the passing game, for sure. All right, um, so that's uh, that's the Navy Air Force on that side. Um, and all right, so the real, real quick rundown. I'll do it again. I'm not gonna. I was thinking about maybe we just skip Army, but uh, <laughs> but uh, on the wide receiver side, right? Man, they, that, uh, that's not gonna gain us any followers. No, I know. I know. <laughs> just I, know. Just I, I, I mean, but we're I just time wise, like we're already at whatever an hour probably now, right? Like yeah, we're right at an hour. So. Yeah, once once the, right. if they get you know eleven wins or whatever this year, I'm sure we'll talk about them plenty. I'm sure that we will have plenty <laughs> of conversations about Army this football season, without a doubt. Um, yeah, they lost a lot of names though. Uh, they only have 
really four people who made any significant impact last year. Um, and the interesting thing that I noted that I told Joe actually Kramer who wrote this article, um, was that, you know, Christian Hayes, uh, probably kind of the go-to guy, um, and Camden Harrison and Glenn Coates, all, all three of which make good contributions last year, um, is, is that actually like on the depth chart, um, a couple of those guys who had already been outplayed by some of, uh, some of, um, the other receivers that that are in in Army's receiver room and guys like Kevin Hamilton and, and um, Chris Gregg, who both made the two deep coming out of spring practice, um, and so even some of the entrenched guys that actually made contributions. This is one where I don't know if that's they're just they're getting depth in the receiver room or, or what that is. Obviously, we don't know that, but um, Christian Hayes probably the guy there, and then. Where I talked about the importance of the running back um, and slot backs and in the passing game, Kel Walker being being that guy, um, and then at tight end, there's really like be honest, not really much there. Um, they only have one guy listed at tight end that had any contributions last year, and that was one catch for 14 yards in the Eastern Mission game, and that's Quentin Parker. So um, once again, we've talked about the need for the tight end as kind of that six lineman, and not really maybe as much in the passing game but uh but yeah i mean they have a sort of experience receiving core but they may be putting in some guys that don't have as much experience uh, up front and i'm um, trying to, to build that depth so we'll we'll see how that plays out um if i'm if i'm thinking about army i'm i'm kill walker is the guy out of the actually as a slot back that it's that i think has the biggest year in the passing game so all right let's move on to the guys last but not least on offense because probably no more important position um, than the offensive line. So, Scott, how are we looking? You, your article was hilarious, by the way. I thought it was a really good take on kind of, uh, and it's gotten some good traction because you're making fun of dudes who have allergies and stuff like that, and and that's that's got some traction. So, uh, what's Air Force's offensive line looking like? Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, if if it's tough, kind of following Air Force football from afar, try following the non-skills position players. That's it's even tougher. So, um, I went with a little more lighthearted because. You know, we don't get to hear a lot about those guys. But like you said, it really is the most important position really on an offense because if you don't have guys who can – um, who can stop the defense, then we don't allow these these slow-moving plays to develop because um, it takes time to be able to get around the corner or be able to cut inside and and make that – you know, make that play on the option. So uh, we have 20 guys on our our roster uh, listed as O-linemen. And a lot of them, and, and in my article, what I did was name all of the starting, what I thought would be the starting five. Um, but it's it's evident that, and I think that, you know, you have bigger guys and just the nature of how a triple option offense runs. It's really, really fast paced. We have a lot of no calls uh, or no huddles and, and that kind of thing. So there are guys constantly filtering in and out. And so even guys who are not likely to be starting most of the games um we had them playing a lot of games last year colin marquez is one uh who played in 11 games and is not listed as as starting at the as starting on the depth chart um but some of the names that that you might hear just to kind of get them in your brain uh parker ferguson had a lot of experience noah loffenberg chris mitchell uh scott haddock and kyle kreps and i and to get kyle kreps in there i I had to kind of connect connect the dots a little bit um 
just because of and go based on what was happening last year. But I mean, really, it's this team has a lot of experience in there. They're bigger guys, and that's the whole thing. Is you always hear what's what's kind of the cliche is that oh, triple option offenses whether it's Georgia Tech or the Service Academies, they're always undersized. I mean, we have some big guys, and, and that's one of the biggest things that I wanted to kind of make, kind of wanted to note was that all of our players are over six foot. Um, the starters, all of them are, are over six two, except for one who comes in at six foot one. And then um, in terms of weight, we have, you know, they're right in that nice sweet spot, I think, for their height to where they can be, they can actually go up against Power Five teams. Um, like Colorado, for example, this season, but also be quick enough to um, to really hold their own and, and help the play develop. So we have a lot of guys right around that 280 to 290 um, kind of weight. So I, I'm happy with them. I think that it having a good offense where it's not like our offensive line is in a position that the wide receivers are in, and it takes a lot of pressure off um, when it comes to kind of developing the plays and developing the offense that you want. And so what I would like to see out of them is that we go for it a lot more on fourth down. Hopefully we can get those conversion rates back up, especially with quarterback keeps and things like that. Um, But really I I even had no complaints last year and basically this entire crew is returning and they were just younger last year. So um, I can't say it enough. Just experience is, is always a good thing. And um you know, I, I don't think they're actually too injury prone, and I think that comes with being a little bit smaller than some of their counterparts at other schools. So I'm happy uh, overall. I'm just really happy with how our O line is looking. Um, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously once again most probably most important position to making this go, and it seems like they have you know some good sized guys in there, and and yeah, I mean, any of this is impossible with the Area 51 secrecy that. Calvin puts yeah. on the, the the ability to to figure this out, and so yeah, we'll be we'll be Navy, we'll be we'll be Air Force Navy week trying to actually like put some real um, film breakdown and, and thought into some of these discussions for a lot of these positions. But um, so yeah, I mean, uh, Navy's an interesting one too. Austin, what do you what do you got on the offensive line for Navy? Uh, it, Scott mentioned kind of like the size and stuff of Air Force, and uh, and that's kind of what I see when I look at Navy's offensive. I know that's, again, kind of the standard thing to say and going against the cliche, as you mentioned, kind of saying undersized. Um, it's going to be led with Ford Higgins as the center, right? He's also one of the team captains this year, but he's also just seems like he has he's the cap. He's the captain of the captains, so he was elected by all the team captains at Navy to be the captain of the captains and represent them to the commandant, basically, um, and to Chet. So, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Uh, having yeah. run that program for three years, that's a big deal. So, cool, good for him to, to get elected captain of the captains. And this is the first year there's four captains, I believe, that Navy's ever yep. had. So, I guess mm-hmm. it makes sense to kind of even have a leader amongst that group, huh? Um so I think he's really going to lead the offensive line. Comes across obviously very well respected, but also super smart. Like he's going to be the glue that kind of holds uh, holds the line together. And from what I understand, he's very versatile and can really play any position on the line that's needed. But it just makes sense for him to kind of execute the offense as the center. He's also the the smallest at six two two sixty. But once yeah, you start two sixty. Yeah. yeah, but once you go like from left to right, you can look at the left side of our line of Navy's line. Um, three oh five left guard, six three three oh five starter, and David Forney, and then Kendall Wright left tackle, six four two seventy two. So you've got experience. Both um, guys got plenty of playing time last year and have size. So the left side of the line is going to be, I think, key 
um, to kind of holding the ground for setting up Navy's offense. And the right side's a little bit less experienced, uh, but still has adequate size on the right-hand side led by uh, right tackle Billy Honaker. But he's um, less experienced. So I wouldn't be surprised if when it comes down to it, at least early on in the season, Navy's really trying to focus on building out of their offense on the left-hand side. Uh, and really relying on the leadership as well as the experience and the size that we have on the left-hand side um, and hopefully see it more and more developed between the right guard and the right tackle uh, as the season goes on. Um, But, again, I feel myself always going back to, (laughs) with all these positions that we've talked about offensively, going back to what's going to happen in the quarterback. I do think the offensive line is going to be improved upon where they were last year, and I think they'll have the ability to uh, make better blocking reads and really set up a better and better executed triple option offense that maybe Navy fans are used to seeing, but it's going to come down to the decision making. I think at the end of the day, with what Malcolm Perry is able to do at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's no doubt that's that's the case. Um, so you know, running down Army real quick, they do lose two starters in Austin Schuford and the big one being center Bryce Holland. We'll see what impact that has. I mean, he was the staple of that. Uh, offensive line for sure um, and they have some different guys moving to different positions so they have experience but they're they're shifting guys around to get that experience on the field at the same time so Alex Herndon moving over to left tackle after being the backup to Holland at center and then Jack Sides who worked at left guard last year slides over um, and will get the first shot at being the new center at least according to the post spring depth chart so you're, you're seeing some shifting around but I think that is just to get guys who have game experience um, as many of that as much of that as you can uh, among the five guys on the line um, so Alex Herndon is that uh, left tackle now um, Jax Deaton will, will definitely be the guy that probably is the the kind of captain of the offensive line if you will as the senior will be um, you know at, le- at left guard um, and is predicted as an all-independent first team by Phil Steele in his preseason um, predictions um, so he'll be an important part of that line um, and then Jack Sides getting that shot at center and then the right side uh, kind of the same way as Navy like the right side if you're going to have a side that is mo- is more experienced and ready to go probably the left side makes most sense so the right side um, you're going to see Reader did start at right guard most of last year Peyton Reader um, has com- considerable playing time there both of the last two seasons so I mean you have experience there um, and then you make your way all the way out to tackle and it'll be kind of maybe a toss-up with uh, uh, JB Hunter kind of leading the way right now but but they're been predicted by multiple outlets to be kind of a top 10 offensive line for the year they had a really great year last year and they're looking to build off that they have experience but how does all that kind of cross assignment um, play out I guess will be the big thing for for us to look at for Army's offensive line so uh all right so i'm gonna put you guys on the spot as we end here um today i want to let's go through these well let's go through all the offensive positions and i just want your kind of take in the moment not putting too much thought into it um across all three service academies which service academy has uh the best core of um at each position so which which one who's got the best quarterback who's got the best running back group wide receiver tight end and offensive line um, and I know I'm putting you guys on the spot and you probably haven't researched beyond Navy and Air Force. So, um, but let's go with, um, let's go with quarterback first. Then this may be the toughest one though. So I don't know. Maybe we should do that one last, but, uh, who do you think has the best quarterback room of all three? Uh, I, I mean, not even being a homer, I, I got to say Air Force. I think that, uh, 
I think that what has led Calvin Hopkins to being so great is the coaching staff. And I think that if Air Force was in a similar situation with that, um, then we could see this the exact same, if not better, numbers from, from both Donald Hammond and um, Isaiah Sanders. So I'm going to have to go with them. Sorry, Malcolm Perry. <laughs> no, I mean, I think uh, it, it's also Air Force, um, mostly because the fact that they're actually in a battle for who's going to lead, uh, where it's it's clear for both Navy and Army. So when you start going down to the two deep, um, Air Force is going to lead. I think at that point, uh, you can you know make arguments for who's at the top of each school. But once you go too deep, Air Force to me is the clear leader. Yeah, I mean, if you're saying who's the best quarterback of all of them, probably I would maybe say Calvin Hopkins. Um, just going off of what he did last year but if you say quarterback room and the whole entire room yeah i mean i, I would probably actually agree so that's actually a three-way i'm actually really surprised that we have a three-way kind of um consensus there for for air forces the quarterback room uh group as a whole being the best all right running backs um and this is tough i think for army um i, I would have said army based on their previous experience but and, and how they've been playing kind of past performance but i think that um their losses at fullback is too big and i think air force uh i'd love to give it to caden remsburg but I, I think i'm gonna go with navy on this one i just see the most potential for them this season i would agree with navy in the terms of potential um but i think what kel walker has been able to show at army kind of gives me me gives army the favor in my opinion because i think he is the clear leader across the service academies coming into this season kind of in the slot back position um and i, I think army's going to do a good do a good job of kind of plug and play behind him but uh, he's going to lead that room all right i would actually go navy i think um as well scott saying like um i mean I'm, it's I don't know. I could have phrased the question a number of different ways, but if I guess if I'm looking, well, you said potentially you probably would say Navy too, Austin. But like if I'm looking at who at the end of the year who has the best production out of the running backs um, overall for the season, I'm yeah. optimistic. It's that, actually. That, I was gonna say know. I use two different reasons for my two answers too. I was like Air Force because of depth, and then if I go depth, I probably go lead Navy. But then I'm like, ah, oh, Kel, Kel Walker, individual. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I would go. Yeah, I would go Navy. I would think. I think I expect Navy's running backs. Um, between the slotbacks and the fullbacks to have a tremendous year. All right, so wide receiver slash tight end. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a toss up. What do you want? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, so that's brutal. I mean, like, we didn't see the performance from any of the guys really at Navy last year too much. I mean, Air Force has had too big of losses. I mean, I guess you could say that Gerard Sanders and Cade Wagasback are solid. Um, and then Army, I mean, Army, their success is kind of infuriating just because it's literally just how good Coach Munkin is at, at working with what he has. So uh, I guess just given what we know, I'll give it to Air Force, even though I think that that's literally the weakest part of our offense. <laughs> Man, yeah, I, I was kind of glad you went first because I thought I was able to think of something before you finished talking. <laughs> but that's it's just hard because it's just – you know, obviously with a triple option offense, it's kind of an, an, I don't want to call it an unproven position, but there's just not a lot of stats or, or necessarily to point out. And I think everyone has an ability to make a big play here or there when needed. Um, Navy wasn't able to do that previously. I'm not sure they'll be able to do that this year based upon quarterback's arm, but sure, I'll go with Air Force. I'll throw you something, Scott. 
Yeah, I think we'll, we'll just have a consensus there. I think that, uh, well, Army has a lot of, I mean, Christian Hayes. Christian Hayes here. sticks out for sure. Yeah, for sure. And um, and Michael Cooper, we already talked about is, if you're looking at just talent, maybe the most talented of all of them. But um, we already talked, yeah, we don't have to get hit on the, we don't have to dock Malcolm's arm anymore in this episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll just give it to Air Force, too. All right, offensive line. Last one. Uh, I'll I'll give it to I mean I know that neither Navy or Army lost too many players and I, and I think it's kind of a similar situation where they're rotating guys in a lot but just I guess the the best thing that we could do is say who was the most successful offense um, and and if you look at the fourth down conversion rates last season with which was a ridiculous percentage for Army I'm gonna go with Army. Um, yeah, I was going to say Navy in my head, so you brought up the fourth down uh, conversion factor because that was a big play to Army success last year. Um, but going to this year, like I, I am hopeful. I'm excited with what Navy's got on the offensive line. So in terms of potential, I think that that might have might have the most potential for me as a unit at Navy. Um, so I think they're gonna they're gonna turn some heads by the end of the year. But I still might give the, the nudge to Army. Yeah, I mean I'm. I, I agree. I think potential and Navy's got great potential and they we may end up that may end up being one you know, the most surprising unit on the team. But yeah, I mean you look at what Army did last year, they lost two stars, Bryce Holland's a big loss, but I mean overall, yeah, I I think I would have to go if I was betting betting on this, I would, you know, go Army um for that. So all right, yeah. So everybody kinda got a little little taste there and uh, I I don't know. I it's exciting. There's it's just building towards football season it's just a lot of excitement and so to kind of walk through the offenses for all of these um it gets me excited because i think there is potential for all three teams to as anyone would say at this point of the year have have a good season um so all right any last kind of thoughts guys next time we'll hit up the defense um which will be i don't know that'll be an interesting conversation especially for navy i think to talk defense um, and an exciting conversation for both Air Force and Army, I think, um, with some of the leadership Air Force has and then just the playmakers that Army has on defense um, is pretty scary. So that'll be a good conversation. You guys got any last-minute last thoughts today? We forgot to take a second. You can, uh, I wanted to say you can feel it in the air, but it's still really, really hot where I am. So you can at least feel it on the Internet that uh, football's coming, and I can't wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you all for listening. This is the Against All Enemies crew with the Against All Enemies podcast. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk defense. And then we'll roll into weekly editions of our podcast. And that's when you know it's really football time. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. Congratulations to the Navy midshipmen. Winners of the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, the great Air Force Falcons. Air Force.